Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. Uh, we're going to be reading, actually, believe it or not, in Romans chapter 8 today. That, you know, tried and true Christmas passage that everyone thinks of when they think of Christmas. Uh, we're going to wind up in Luke too, so don't worry. Uh, for just a second before we read our scripture, uh, would you just say thank you to everybody up here who has put in hours and so many, yeah. The folks in the back, the folks back with our kids, just it, there were people here most of the day yesterday setting things up and uh, we're going to tear it down as soon as we're done, right? Uh, so anyway, we just appreciate all the sacrifice that everyone's made. I wanted to say that before they walk down. Uh, so Romans 8, we're going to read uh, about eight verses, beginning in verse 16. The Spirit, and always remember when you're reading Scripture, and it's a capital S, what Spirit are we talking about? Good job, right. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies." You may be seated. May God bless the reading of His Word. And so, it'll be all right. We are in a series called The Sounds of the Season, and we've been kind of working our way through um, Christmas carols, Christmas hymns, and pulling out kind of the theology and the passages behind uh, these hymns. Uh, I don't know how many of you were able to join us. Quite a few of you were actually Friday night as we went out in the community here. We went Christmas caroling. Uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh, some of us sang really well. And some of us just made a joyful noise. I was of that crew. Uh, I went with Tom, at, Tom Bryan. He's here somewhere. He was my leader. He sang well and I sang loud. And together we made it happen, right? Uh, so, Friday night after we were done, our family uh, actually went home and we did one of the things that we love to do as a family, uh, we watched White Christmas, right? With Bing Crosby. And I didn't know this until this year, how fun is this? Bing Crosby, the 1942 version of that song that he recorded, of course Irving Berlin wrote it, Bing Crosby sang it. That's actually the number one selling single in history. 50 million copies of that. And listen, this is before streaming. 
50 million times people went and bought a physical copy of that and took it home and listened to it. You know what the second best-selling song, I'm not going to tell you what it is, because you're going to wonder now and you're going to go home and look it up. The second best-selling is only 33 million. So it's not even close. Like, and it's such a great movie, right? If you haven't seen it, you got to go home and watch it. It's just such a fantastic movie. The singing and the choreography is just a fantastic thing. And at the end, like the, the, the scene, here's all the soldiers are back from war and they're showing their loyalty to their commander. And there's, you know, the, you, you've got all this pageantry and there are people in the audience and the people up on the stage. And then they open the back doors and the whole movie, spoiler alert, there's been no snow. They're in Vermont, but there's no snow. And at the end of the movie, in order for them to sing the song White Christmas, guess what has to happen? <laughs> and magically, snow shows up, right? You have this, this tension between these two, uh, this couple that you're hoping they're going to become a couple, and then they get in, the, you have tension of a, a movie plot. And at the end, you have reconciliation, and there are presents with kids and there's snow, and really, what more could you ask for at Christmas? The problem is the movie ends. And I look outside, and there was no snow. Right? Like, we, we get caught up in the magic of Christmas, but the problem is the magic of Christmas often goes away as soon as the movie's over. Maybe because we're looking in the wrong place for it. Although, I don't get too bent out of shape about that. It's good to have traditions, right? It's good to enjoy kids and enjoy family at Christmas. And the truth is the magic of Christmas for us really is an escape from suffering. So you have a copy of your sermon notes. Hopefully you got one of those on the way in. So through the course of this sermon, actually, if we could go to our next slide, uh, we're going to be filling in. There's a diagram there. And so we've got to start off with suffering. Because this is where we live. The reason we love Christmas so much is because for a little while, we get to escape the idea of suffering. Kind of no matter our theology, no matter what we think about God, right? When we're singing songs, like when we just sang, Oh, Holy Night, for just a few minutes, we don't think about suffering, right? And some of you, because I know your story, I know you've had a pretty crummy year. And that's putting it mildly, but I'm preaching, so I have to put it mildly, right? You've had a pretty bad year. But for just a few minutes, we want to escape the suffering. Listen, we want to escape sadness. We want to escape loneliness. For many of us, we want to forget about the suffering of illness. For some of us, we want to forget about the suffering of bereavement. Because maybe this year is your first year celebrating Christmas without someone who really, really matters to you. And you don't know how Christmas is ever going to be the same. We want to escape suffering. We want to escape the suffering of financial troubles, relational struggles, family struggles. Primarily, this suffering kind of comes from two places. The first one is just the fact that life's not fair. Life stinks. It does. Life is painful. By the way, I would remind you of this, or for some of you it's not a reminder because you didn't know it. 
Some of you know it, but you don't think about it. It wasn't God's design for us to suffer. Humanity introduced that into the equation because we chose our own way. That wasn't God's original plan. He didn't want us to suffer. We kind of self-inflicted that, and I don't necessarily mean you personally. This first part, we're kind of talking about corporately, right? Life's not fair. In fact, one of the key things that I tell parents, one of your key jobs as a parent is to help your kids understand that life's not fair. It's one of the reasons they don't need you to run interference for them their whole life. I expected more amens on that. Because we're all thinking of somebody, aren't we? And it's great that you're trying to protect them from every little bump and bruise, but the rest of us have to live next to them and work next to them, and, right? Life's not fair. And the sooner you stop expecting it to be, the more you reduce some of the tension. You say, Tim, thanks for pumping us up at Christmas, right? <laughs> thanks for making us feel great. Well... Ecclesiastes 7.15, Solomon, in all of his wisdom toward the end of his life, said this, In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Isn't it true? And by the way, it was 3,000 years ago those words were written. It was true then, it's true now. Up to this point... Life's not fair. There will come a day when true justice shows up. But until then, life's not going to be fair. The magic of Christmas helps us escape that for a little while. The other part of it, going from the corporate to the personal, life's not fair, but also my own sin is painful. No amens. You can amen that my sin's painful, right? Everybody say amen. amen. Boy, Tim's sin is really painful for him. It's not just me. It's all of us. If you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. Sin brings pain. Pain is suffering. Romans 7.24, Paul says this, O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I am suffering and I don't like it. How do I get out? And by the way, listen, for sure in this room, there are people who are kind of all over the map spiritually. Some of us have been faithful believers. We put our faith in Christ a long time ago. Some of you put your faith in Christ longer ago than I've been alive. And I'm not young anymore. Right? For some of you, you've been a believer for you know a decade or two maybe. Some of you are just now putting your faith in Christ. Some of you haven't. Some of you aren't really sure about the whole thing. You just came to church because it's Christmas and somebody invited you. And this is part of what you do. That's cool. We're glad you're here. But for all of us, no matter where we are on that spectrum, I think there's one thing that we could all agree on, is that if this world really is all that there is, 
then suffering is cruel and unjust. And there's probably not a God. If this world's all that there is, that's a sad way for the story to end. Because some of you have watched people live good and faithful lives and they went all the way through suffering and they went to their grave suffering. And we see no justice in that. We see no relief in that. We live in a world of unavoidable suffering and we long for joy. Joy to the world, by the way, is the Christmas hymn that we're talking about today. We want joy. Please let there be joy. And so when we get the chance to sing joy to the world, we sing it loudly, don't we? As if we can manifest it by our volume. We want joy. But the truth is, biblically speaking, joy is found in glory. Not your glory or my glory, but the glory of God. And at this, it's at this point, all my theological training is boiled down to my little southern mama who's no longer with us. She's in glory now. And that's how she would talk about it. Gone on to glory. There's good theology in that, by the way. We want to move from suffering to glory and yet we sense that we can't figure out how to get there. There's something in us that thinks it might exist. Now, some of you know that it exists, know that it exists. Some of you aren't sure, but you sure hope so. But I'm telling you, the idea, no matter where we are on that spectrum, the idea that deep down in us we have this spark that there might be a place, there might be an existence, there might be a, however you want to say it, state of being where the suffering is no more, is the hint that it really does exist. So Paul, in Romans 8, go back with me, the verses that we read, we're going to walk quickly through them. In verse 16, Paul, talking about the Holy Spirit, says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. By the way, super practical verse, because I know for some of you, like, you're not, I'm not sure if I'm a believer. I think I'm a believer. I know there was a point where I, I felt like that was true and I actively put my faith in Christ, but sometimes I don't feel it. How do I know? How do I know? Well, this is one of the ways that you can know. You can ask the Spirit to remind you. The Spirit bears witness. You don't have to bear witness on your own. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Now, in this terminology, please hear me, what Paul's talking about in this passage, when he talks about children of God, he's not talking about all humanity. He's talking about people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Please hear this. That is an exclusive group that everyone's invited to. It's not everyone, but it could be anyone. That's specifically who he's talking about. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if we're children, then we are heirs. 
We don't have time to unpack this, but in the Jewish world, this was a powerful idea that Jesus as the firstborn, right? Which, which doesn't mean that he was literally born as God, right? But that as God's firstborn, he had all the rights and privileges of a firstborn son. And that you and I get to share in that. We're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Check this out. Provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So there's a pattern. Being a child of God means being loved. It means belonging. But it also means following in the example of Jesus and the example he gave us of suffering that will lead to glory. That's what Paul's saying. If we suffered with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In other words, Jesus left glory to enter to suffering. Jesus was in glory. He existed in glory before that first Christmas. Before he was born as a human, he has existed. In fact, the Bible would say he is. And for those of you grammar nerds like me, that's a perfect tense, which means it's always been true. He is. We don't think about that. All the suffering that he experienced, he chose. You and I don't often choose suffering, do we? If not, you need a, if you do, you need a different sermon. Right? We, we just don't usually choose it. We want to get out of it normally, and, and on some level, that's okay. He willingly chose it. He left glory to step into our suffering. That's the message of Christmas. That's why these verses are Christmas verses. By the way... I am legally bound to say this as a pastor. <laughs> I feel like I say it every year. Every day is Christmas. And every day is Easter. I'm not trying to minimize what you and I are doing because, listen, I'm going to go home like you. I'm going to go home and build a big fire this afternoon. And I'm going to enjoy my family. And we're going to eat a lot. And we're going to open gifts. And it's going to be fun. And we may find another Bing Crosby movie to watch. That's okay. But every day, the reality of Christmas is true every day. Jesus left glory and entered into our suffering so that he could lead us back. That's the message of Christmas. For I consider, verse 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. We're not trying to minimize how much you're suffering. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote these words, he's not trying to say you're not suffering. He's just trying to get you, give you a frame of reference for all the suffering that you experience. I'm telling you, the glory that's coming is not worth comparing. Right? C.S. Lewis said there are far better things ahead 
than any we leave behind. As only C.S. Lewis could say. Far better things ahead than any we leave behind. Paul said also in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For this light momentary affliction is producing for us, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This light and momentary affliction, by the way, he had been afflicted a lot. So he's not minimizing anything. This is preparing for us. It lets us see, listen, the gravitas of what's coming, the weight of what's coming, the power of what's coming. And in the meantime, you and I live in the in-between. We live in the incomplete. Part of our calling as children of God, for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, part of our calling as disciples is to learn to live between the already and the not yet. There are some things that are already true. There are some things that are not yet true but are coming. By the way, that's the story of Jesus. He came the first time to inaugurate some things, but some of that work isn't going to be done until he comes back the second time. Verse 19. This is where it gets powerful to me. And when I think of joy to the world, I think of these verses, the ones we're about to read, which is how I wound up in this passage today. For the creation waits with, what are the next two words? Everybody say it. Eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Hey, look at me. Check this out. The language that's used here is that creation peers over the edge for something that's coming. Creation's holding its breath For the revealing of the sons of God, the children of God, these heirs that he's been talking about. And for some of you, the synapses are firing and you're realizing that that's you. Yes. It hasn't been yet fully revealed what you and I are going to look like as children of God in eternity. But something big is coming. In fact, it's so big that creation is peering over the edge. Creation is leaning into it. Creation is paying close attention in anticipation of what's coming, primarily watching, listen, us, the children of God. And I do believe if you draw, draw the circle a little wider, for all of us, no matter what our faith situation is, There's something in us that participates in that. We just kind of feel like something, you maybe wouldn't use the term, but I'll use it for you. Like there's some kind of glory coming. There has to be. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, It's very interesting. Please listen. And and very quickly, we're going to be linear and we're going to follow Paul's thought because there's a lot of theology here. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. That's That's not man, that's God. But it is saying that God decided in the creation mandate that man, and when I say man, I mean mankind, men and women, 
We're supposed to subdue the earth. We're supposed to subdue creation. And so we have been put in charge of creation. And so creation, because we're in charge of it, creation's kind of along for the ride. But creation knows her creator. And creation knows that when we chose sin as humankind, when we chose sin, creation's now along for the ride. And creation's suffering with us. But creation knows that's not how it's supposed to be. So let me out of this mess that I didn't ask for. That's the imagery that's being used here. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. These children of God are going to finally achieve at some point in the future this full and complete glory and then creation gets to be set free. That's why it's peering over the edge. For we know, again, joy to the world, right? We know that the whole creation which is not just the created world. Now he's drawn the circle a little wider. That's the whole creation and humanity, all of us. The whole creation has been groaning together in, in the pains of childbirth until now. There's something great coming, but this is really painful, right? That this creation and God's children all know that there's a beautiful glory coming, but in the meantime, pain is present and it seems to be increasing. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. The first fruits of the Spirit. Again, huge imagery. We don't have time to unpack it. Listen. It's the down payment. The first fruits of the Spirit is the down payment from the Spirit and the promise, the pledge that something better is coming. That's what the Holy Spirit is for us. The pledge that something better is coming. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. Please, listen, see if this doesn't sound familiar to you. This is why we want the magic of Christmas. Because we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, or sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. This idea of groaning, Paul would also mention it in 2 Corinthians 5. It would also be mentioned in Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel. This groaning that there's something better coming. This groaning that I need to escape. In 2015, I took a group of six pastors to the Philippines to do a pastor's conference. Now, the Philippines is a long way from here. It was about a 32-hour travel day, day and a half, I guess. And then you cross the international date line, so it's out, you actually, I think you lose a day going and you gain it coming back, or I forget, vice versa. It was a long day. Somewhere along the way, our flights were delayed. One of the flights was delayed, and it was just a domino effect. And the final flight where we landed in Manila, and we were going to catch a little commuter flight two hours north, to the north of the Isle of Luzon, which is where the pastor's conference was, we missed that final connecting flight. 
So a two-hour flight turned into a 15-hour van ride (laughs) after 32 hours of travel. Many of us had not slept. Many of us were much too old for that. (laughs) And I'll never forget that 15-hour van ride. I'll never forget it. (laughs) It was rough. It shouldn't have taken that long. One of the things you realize when you leave America, especially if you go into a developing country, is one of the major differences is infrastructure. You just don't have the roads that we have. And I love it. I love the Filipino countryside and the people. It's beautiful. But getting from point A to point B wasn't easy. And so it was a big deal when we stopped just to get fuel and, you know, use the restroom. And I'll never forget our final stop in the van. It's a group of pastors who are doing their best to hold their faith together (laughs) and uh, trying to be holy, right? And we stopped for fuel and use the restroom. And and we got back in the van and our driver, who was just an awesome guy, and he was a saint, right? So we get back in the van and he tells us, hey, we have about four hours left, four more hours of travel. And one of my pastor friends, who is the meekest, most mild person that you could ever imagine, said, whatever it takes, do whatever it takes to get us out of this van. Don't stop again. And do you know, we were all unanimous in agreement with him, whatever it takes. And the guy said, you don't think you're going to need to stop and use the restroom again? And we said, whatever it takes to get us there. No more stopping. Whatever it takes to get me out of this situation. Whatever it takes for me to escape the suffering and the fatigue and the difficulty and the pain. Is anybody with me? It's not just about a van ride, is it? Whatever it takes. This is the human condition. This groaning world is where the shepherds found themselves when they were visited by angels. And I would remind you again that creation was watching. In Luke 2, as Archer read a few minutes ago, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you, what's the word? Good news. Good news. I don't know the details, but it looks like the van ride might be almost over. I can see something. I don't know how close it is, but being able to see something is better than being able to see nothing. Something's coming, and it's the something that we've been looking for. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Listen, the invitation's for all the people. Everybody gets the chance to be a child of God. Not everyone will be. But everyone can be. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, 
who is Christ the Lord. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Jesus came to make a way back to glory for us. In fact, in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way. And by the way, that's literally what he meant. I'm the path. If you want to know how to get from here to there, you got to follow me. There's no other way to get there. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father who's in glory except through me. So when we put our faith into his sacrifice for our sins, we guarantee, because he has guaranteed, our entry into glory. So he came from glory into our suffering. And the path back, if you're filling in your notes, just go ahead and draw a cross in that circle. Because that's the path. Joy to the world happens because the child comes to the manger, but the child's going to live and ultimately die, but his death is going to be meaningful. His death is going to fulfill prophecies. It's going it's to have this theological significance, which we really don't have time to unpack. But the summary of it is this, that you and I in our suffering and the sin that we've committed, we get the chance to be forgiven. Not because we're good people or because we get it right all the time or even most of the time. In fact, if you're a hot mess, this is for you. <laughs> there are a few other of us hot messes already in and we're, we'll welcome you here. It's just by faith. It's just by faith. See, God's not going to come person by person and say, whose faith is the strongest? I'm going to start with them and they're forgiven. And then when I come to you and if your faith is weak, I'm going to say, well, I don't know. No, the power is in the blood. It's in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not in your faith. So yes, joy to the world. Because we get the chance Go back to glory. It's not guaranteed unless you put your faith in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for you to be forgiven of your sins. Christmas is the birth of the beginning of this story that the wait was over and the solution had arrived. And so... What are we seeing? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Every heart's not going to, but let it be so. We wish that it were so. It's possible, right? And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. And then we also sing, and maybe we didn't know the significance, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns 
infests the ground. By the way, all of this is the fallout of creation groaning. Groaning under the weight of our sin. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. His blessing is going to wash over the suffering and the groaning. So I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a second. Close your eyes. I'm going to offer you a couple of prayers. We're actually not going to spend very long on this at all. At all. And then we're going to finish up singing Silent Night, which is a great thing to do. But in the meantime, if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, if you're a child of God, like if you're a believer, I think the prayer is, God, thank you for coming to offer me the certainty of glory with you. Give me the faith to embrace it again this Christmas. In just a second, I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to give you a chance to pray that prayer. If you're not a believer, if you're not a child of God, I would invite you to pray a different prayer. You don't have to, by the way. But the door is wide open and it's not going to be open forever. This is your chance. For you, the prayer would probably look something like this. Thank you for coming to offer me the chance of glory with you, Jesus. This morning, I'm going to put my faith in your sacrifice to save me from my sins. Give me the faith to embrace it this Christmas.